Hello and welcome to the Commotion Mobility Podcast, your regular glimpse into the future of urban mobility. I'm your host, Greg Lindsay, Director of Strategy for Commotion, and this week I'm joined by Rachel Weinberger, who's a Senior Fellow for Transportation at the Regional Plan Association in New York. Now, for those of you who are not New Yorkers, who are not familiar with the RPA, uh, it's an independent, non-for-profit civic organization that for the last century or so has been developing master plans for the city of New York. Uh, its legacy includes everywhere from choosing the location of what was ultimately the George Washington Bridge to uh, recommending a century ago that downtown Brooklyn develop its own skyline. And they're perhaps most famous for their literally once-in-a-generation master plans, the, the regional plans that come out uh, every 25 years or so, the most recent just two years ago, the fourth regional plan. Um, but in between, the RPA releases its own ideas for how to basically improve the city of New York, which most recently included in the regional plan a, an effort to overhaul the MTA to improve the subways and raise the massive amounts of money required, or uh, you know, floating the ideas of breaking up the Port Authority. Um, but most recently, just last week, the RPA has come out with its own plan on congestion pricing in New York, which will get started as soon as 2021. And this plan, very straightforwardly, is titled Congestion Pricing in New York, Getting It Right, which makes you wonder what the other assumptions could be. Um, so with that, we're joined by Rachel, who is one of the plan's principal co-authors. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm hoping we can get into the weeds a bit here on exactly how we should implement congestion pricing. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Greg. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I guess that's sort of a background on this for the non-New Yorkers. Uh, you know, could you talk a bit about, I guess, sort of the backdrop of this? The, uh, the plan that was passed as part of uh, Governor Cuomo's budget, I believe, last year, creating the Traffic Mobility Act. So could you walk us through exactly about what New York, the first city in the United States to implement congestion pricing, is actually going to do, or at least what's been agreed of what will happen in the next couple of years? Well, what's been agreed is that a uh, congestion pricing plan will be implemented, and that essentially means that in a, con in a particularly identified congested area, in our case it's Manhattan below um, south of 60th Street, there will be a charge uh, to enter that zone that um, helps to mitigate the congestion that's caused by using the zone. So very few cities internationally have implemented congestion pricing. Singapore was first to do it in the 70s. Um, London did it uh, in the early, oh, I'm going to get the dates wrong, so I won't even try. Um, Stockholm followed, and Milan uh, recently has implemented congestion pricing. They originally had an emission zone, which now they have converted to congestion pricing. Um, the essential idea of it is, as I said, when you drive in a congested system, you cause more congestion. And so congestion pricing causes you to to take stock of that congestion that you're causing and and hopefully you'll rethink your choices the idea of it is to to have people move to less congested times of day or uncongested modes and that's the hope here and in addition it has the added bonus of uh, creating a, a pot of revenue that can be used to improve the alternatives so what the legislation that you referenced um, calls for is implementing this kind of a system. It has a, a revenue goal and it has a, a few um, restrictions applied to it, but a lot of details are left yet to be determined by a traffic mobility review board, which will be named at some point. And what we have done in this report that you um, referenced and that we're here to talk about is come up with some guiding principles and some recommendations for how the system could be implemented, and we're hoping to make a contribution 
to the conversation so that um, we can get the program right. So you mentioned, you, you touched upon a few of the undetermined factors involved, you know, and mentioning also some of the governance structure. But I was wondering if you could also talk a bit of, a little bit more before you get into your recommendations about what hasn't been covered under the plan. For example, you know, we don't know what technology is going to be used. We don't know what the carve-outs are going to be. What are some of the other, I guess, sort of, we could say risk factors involved uh, on how this sort of plan could, you know, not be implemented with maximum efficiency, for example? Um, so I'm curious, like, what, you know, what, what are we trying to control for to make sure that this actually works? Well, one of the things specified in the legislation is a revenue target, but there isn't a traffic or congestion reduction target, right? So there's no mention either of health impact. So one of the things that we're asking um, in this report and, and recommending too is that, that uh, some performance measures around those other things be established, right? Where there's been a lot of emphasis on the revenue goal, but part of the purpose of the program, and that is specified, is to reduce congestion, but it's not specified how. Um, the other thing that's, um, there's, there's no particular specification with respect to um, what the toll, uh, the congestion charge level should be. So that needs to be determined. Uh, there isn't any particular recommendation as to whether it should be a flat fee throughout the day or whether it should change throughout the day um, to, to match congestion. For example, London has a single uh, same flat fee throughout the day, whereas Stockholm uh, changes the price of the, the congestion price according to the different levels of congestion. So what has been uh, specified is simply that there are uh, what the area is, including there's a bypass area, which is if you if you drive the FDR Drive or the West Side Highway and don't actually enter the core of Manhattan, that's that's not part of the zone. So the zone is geographically well defined, and um, there are to be exemptions for emergency vehicles. And there is uh, another exemption which we can, uh, that's been specified, which we can talk about a bit, which just is for vehicles that are carrying disabled passengers, um, which I'm almost sorry that I even raised because it's a little bit of a, of a, of a tricky proposition. The way that the legislation is written, um, it's difficult, it, it's impossible actually to, to implement or enforce, and that's something that that we haven't made any recommendation on, but but it's something that's going to be part of the conversation, and I think the legislature is probably going to have to revisit. So, so only so only those a uh, couple of details are specified, and there's quite an, a lot of details. As you mentioned, the technology has not been specified. As I said, the directionality is not. The uh, amount of the charge is not. What the congestion goals are have not been specified. So um, the Triborough Bridge and Tunnel Authority, in cooperation with the city, are responsible for uh, coming up with all of those decisions, and they will be guided by, I mentioned, the Traffic Mobility Review Board um, that, that will be appointed at some point. Okay, great. Well, now that we've covered all the uncertainty about it, now I would love to hear what is, what is the RPA's and yours sort of high-level recommendations of this overview. Now that we know exactly the, the, all the parameters of uncertainty around this, where should we begin? Particularly now that we have all these 20 years of best practices from London and Singapore and others. Yeah, so um, we started out um, uh, developing a set of principles we feel uh, need to be adhered to. Um, one is that we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that relieving congestion um, is important, is as important as uh, raising the revenue. Now, raising the revenue is critically important because if we are asking people to leave their cars at home, and one thing that congestion pricing does is it sort of asks you through your pocketbook to leave your car at home. We'd like them to have some other ways of traveling. 
So London, um, for example, put in a, a huge amount of uh, additional buses, bus lanes, bike lanes. So they implemented a fair amount of, of alternative infrastructure prior to implementing congestion pricing because you, what you don't want to do is dissuade people from going to, to the CBD. Um, also, greenhouse gas and air pollution reduction are, are pretty critical. And so, so our first principle really is that, that, that these things all need to be paid attention to. Uh, we had another principle is that we think that there should be a lot of transparency. The charging system and rules should be simple and as, as possible. Um, and with the equipment being somewhat un as unobtrusive as possible. So that, that's a little bit of a technology question that, that remains quite great. Um, we feel strongly as a principle that the cost of entering and leaving the zone should be uniform at all entry and exit points. One of the things that we get in New York City because we have a mix of tolled and untold facilities is that people will sometimes drive around extra distance to get to an untold facility because they want a free ride. And by the same token, they might drive around an extra distance to get to a tolled facility because it will be faster to get through. And in fact, that sort of embodies the exact idea of congestion pricing, right? So you can pay extra to get less congestion. And so, so we have these kind of perverse distinctions so that the same trip could be quite a bit longer depending on how what somebody's attitude toward, um, toward cash. So that's an important principle. Uh, prices should be highest when the congestion is greatest, and, and we've developed some scenarios, which I will um, tell you about uh, a little bit later on, to show that you can raise the same amount of revenue in lots of different pricing patterns, and some of them will give you better travel and transportation outcomes than others, and we think that that's, that's something that needs to be paid attention to. Um, larger vehicles have a larger impact, so trucks, multiple axles, um, it's very common in tolling situations now that those vehicles pay more. Uh, they they um, have a heavier impact on the roads in terms of wear and tear, that's the tolling justification. They have a heavier impact on congestion than a, than a, than a personal vehicle or passenger vehicle would, and so they should be uh, charged proportionately. Um, uh, we think that to maintain the system integrity, this is another principle, um, that all of the, that any exemptions should be limited, in fact, restricted only to those that are specified in the legislation. And in fact, the one, as I said, needs to be revisited and defined um, a little bit more clearly. Uh, strong enforcement measures should be implemented. There's lots of potential for abuse of the program. And uh, we need to make sure that the prices are set high enough to cover the system cost and to ensure that the congestion reduction and revenue goals are met. One thing that we really do not want to see happen is that we implement this system and the price is set so low that there's no congestion relief because that really breaks trust with the community, right? We're saying, hey, we're doing this to relieve congestion and then you know, now I'm taking the same trip but now I'm paying for it and there's no difference in congestion. It's not a good way to, to treat your public. And then also we want flexibility in the system so that uh, future technological improvements can be incorporated. So those are the, those were our guiding principles as we, as we set through this. Um, and then we came up with two sets of recommendations. Um, one set is for system design and implementation, and then we had a set of recommendations for pricing. And some of these we um, already uh, touched on. So implementing transit and bicycle improvements prior to starting congestion pricing, I mentioned that, because you really do need to be able to 
to offer alternatives. Um, adopt the specific objectives and metrics to meet the traffic and environmental and health goals. So I mentioned that also. Um, design the system to incorporate new technologies that can transition to more dynamic and effective pricing that could be distance-based um, charges within the zone. There's lots of different um, ideas around that. So um, the two others for system design are uh, to install congestion devices, pr the pricing devices to allow for a simple method of identifying vehicles to bypass the zone. That's a very weedy detail and, and we can certainly talk about it if you'd like to. Um, uh, so, but we'll hold off on that for now. And then the two-way tolling in the congestion zone. And the, the, the reason for that is to eliminate the toll shopping in both directions. So as it currently is, as I described, you might drive an extra distance to get to a free facility. If the charge is only implemented on the way in, then you even that out. But if people are leaving the zone, they'll still have a free or a paid option. And so that incentive to toll shop continues to exist. And in this case now, you're driving around extra in the particular congested zone that you're most trying to um, reduce extra travel in. So, so, you, so if you do a two-way system, then you have a better opportunity to eliminate um, that problem. Interesting. Well, I want to come back. I want to come back to the carve-outs in particular, the, two, the, the toll shopping, the carve-outs. I mean, uh, you know, perversity. Thy name is New Yorkers. Uh, so you know, or New Yorkers. Thy name is perversity, I suppose. But uh, but you know, one thing I want to I want to touch upon is your scenarios for modeling this out. Because the, for for listeners, in case you missed it, uh, in a fascinating bit of system design or lack thereof, Governor Cuomo did not set targets on yeah on basically reduction of congestion or of carbon emissions. Basically, the goal of the system is to raise a billion dollars a year by whatever means necessary, which is fascinatingly New York. Um, but in your, in your recommendations, you modeled out four different scenarios, and you did so using, interestingly, a tool developed by Charles Komanoff, who is part of a group called Fix NYC, along with Sam Schwartz, Gridlock Sam, for those of you who know traffic engineering circles, which was a sort of group of like three eminence greases to develop their own tools of how to win this argument, which you've taken and modeled this out. So I was hoping yeah. you could talk a bit about those four scenarios, and particularly the one that seems the most interesting, which is the highest charges during the highest peaks, because one thing that shows up in traffic engineering is that small but concrete changes at the right time of the day in the right place can lead to systemic effects. And you seem to have identified some of those. So, so I'm curious if you could talk through quickly the four scenarios and which of those, you know, if not an outright recommendation you think is the most interesting that other cities could perhaps borrow when they get around to implementing these systems. Sure. Well, you you've sort of grasped some of the really essential um, features that we're that we're trying to address here. So our first scenario charges just a, a six dollars and twelve cents base fee throughout the day, and six dollars and twelve cents sounds like a very um, specific and and peculiar price, um, but that is keyed off what is currently charged on the tolled crossings that are within New York, right? So those being the Battery Tunnel, the uh, Midtown Tunnel. So the New Jersey crossings have a slightly different pricing structure, but it actually is also roughly that. So that $6.12 is what you would pay if you had an easy pass to cross into the city. So we, we pegged that as a baseline price throughout the day with charging half that amount at night, recognizing the fact that there's very little congestion at night. So from there, we um, did three additional scenarios that were increasingly expensive, so increasingly high peak during the time when, the, when there is the most congestion. 
right? So, and we designed these specifically so that each scenario would raise roughly the same amount of money. So we didn't want to say, oh, well, it's more expensive and therefore you're getting better traffic um, outcomes, but just because it's more expensive, it actually is raising the same amount of money. And as we get more and more peaked to match the heavier, the heaviest time of congestion, we get the best transportation outcomes. So for the same amount of revenue in the scenario where we charge most during the highest periods of congestion, we save, we're saving 152,000 hours compared with where we, if we're just chart per day, compared with if we were charging uh, just a flat fee throughout the day where we're only saving 136,000 hours per day, right? So, so we get um, a better peak period speed improvements and speed's a funny thing to talk about because you don't want high speed, but you want better speed. We get more reliability I mean, and the idea just is that as you add or remove vehicles when it's already a congested system, you get a larger impact for each vehicle. So um, not every trip is the same as every other trip is the idea there. A trip at midnight is not really contributed to congestion. A trip at 8.45 a.m. really is. So if we charge more at 8.45 a.m. in the hopes that that person will switch to transit, and there's the added benefit that that's when transit is actually at its best. And so that's the easiest trip to, to move over to transit. Um, then you get the same revenue and much better travel outcomes. Interesting. I want to touch upon briefly in a second. You know, there's been a lot of political debate, particularly uh, you know, among legislators at the state level and locally in the outer boroughs. Um, that you know that congestion pricing is actually a regressive tax on the poor in this, and you know one of the more remarkable charts in your report shows you know the discrepancy in incomes in places like Westchester County between people who commute into Manhattan versus those who stay behind. And so uh, I was curious if you could just touch upon that for a, for a second there. I mean, you know, you know, is the evidence indisputable that this is a progressive, not a regressive tax on this? Um, because that debate held up congestion pricing for years in New York and in many other places as well. So uh, I'm curious what you found on that. Yeah, that, that's always a, a, a fear and that always enters into the conversation. But um, most of the academic research, most of the empirical findings, uh, e even when you think it through in a robust kind of a way, it, it's easy to see that it actually is is not regressive, far from it. So it turns out that the, the socioeconomics and demographics of this region show, first of all, that jobs in Manhattan are higher paid, which is not to say that every job in Manhattan is higher paid than every job elsewhere, but on average, people who work in Manhattan are earning far more than their counterparts in, in other parts of the region. Also, people who drive to work as opposed to using transit are also tending to have much higher incomes, right? So, so the congestion fee is applied to the people who are working in the region with the highest incomes and commuting by the highest income related mode and who have the best transit alternatives. And nobody is forced to pay the congestion charge. And that's one of the um, important parts about making improvements ahead of time, because you can always switch to a transit option. Um, so I think that, that what we see is that the people who will choose to pay are the ones who still make their own decision that that's the best way to go. And then the revenue, when it gets reinvested and redistributed into better transit alternatives, that helps far more people. I mean, the reality is, too, in the Manhattan case, there are far more transit commuters 
um, than there are automobile commuters. So the this you know subset that is best positioned to make a contribution, uh, and some of them already are, particularly the folks coming from New Jersey and have been paying tolls to come into Manhattan for some time now. One of the things we sometimes also forget is that people who ride express buses or commuter rail, some of the transit commuters are already paying considerably more than the congestion charge might be. So, so what we're seeing is that that this is a group of people that may be best positioned to pay, and in the in the cases where they're not best positioned to to pay the congestion charge, they're certainly free and invited to, and we'd like them to switch to a transit alternative if that works better for them. I was hoping you could also touch upon another category, uh, another mode of vehicles, which is taxi and for hire vehicles. I thought it was interesting in your recommendations that you recommend that there is not a surcharge or, or, that, or that basically they be exempted from the congestion pricing zone because they already pay a surcharge. And there's also a vehicle cap on Ubers in, in New York. I thought that was interesting given that London, for example, has seen tremendous growth in for hire vehicles uh, in the zone because they are exempt from congestion zone pricing. Isabel Dedring, who was Boris's uh, deputy mayor for transport uh, a few years ago, uh, bitterly complained to me that a lot of the gains that they had made in reducing congestion in central London was undone by that exemption, by that loophole that Uber and others exploited. So I'm curious, you're, you're, you're confident then that if we basically exempt taxis and for hire vehicles from the congestion charge, so that we, we won't see similar exploitation? So I'm not actually familiar enough with the London case to know if they have a per trip charge. So what we have now in New York is a recently added per trip charge. That was one of the recommendations of the Fix New York panel. So what we are saying is that it's that we don't want to see um, those four hire vehicles charged twice. They needn't be charged to enter the zone and also charge on a, a per trip basis. So right now their surcharge is $2.50 per trip. Um, for yellow cabs and 275 for green cabs and and the TNCs, so that's Uber and Lyft and and other companies operating that way. So what happens is in in the way that we've thought about it is part of the purpose of the congestion charge is to raise the revenue, of course. Part of the purpose is to reduce the congestion. So when the individual traveler is faced with a surcharge that person gets to reconsider. Just the price of the surcharge is pretty close to what the cost of a subway ride is. So I'm going to pay the surcharge, which is the cost of a subway trip, plus whatever my taxi fare is. That might cause me to think twice about whether or not I am going to to use a for-hire vehicle or walk or use a city bike or use my own bike or, or use the public transit system. So the way that we're thinking about it is we expect that we'll see a bigger potential trip reduction because as there are fewer um, for hire vehicle passengers, then there should be fewer uh, for hire drivers and vehicles because then it becomes an unsustainable business model. So if in the London case, they're, also, they're doing a per trip charge, but an exemption for crossing into the zone, and that's the effect that they're getting, then I'd like to, to know more about that. And, and I think then we would want to rethink our conclusion on this particular issue. But the taxi has to come into the zone to work. So it, there will be no trip reduction benefit based on uh, having the crossing charge. Yeah, so I guess the, the last you know five minutes or so, I'd love to, to have you talk a bit about, I guess, 
the worst case and best case scenarios for this. So, you know, assuming your plans are, are implemented um, and assuming the technology continues to evolve, I thought it was great that your, one of your recommendations is to look a future, in the future at dynamic pricing and thinking about how, you know, we can move from a, a fixed system to a more dynamic one. You know, what's your take on sort of where the system could evolve to in five or ten years? And then the flip side of that is, is you know, what's sort of the worst case scenario for this, particularly if there's a huge number of carve-outs that sort of defeat the system's intended purposes. Um, so, you know, what's, what's the heaven or hell scenarios, I guess, for this? Well, I, I think that the, I think you nailed it. I think the worst case scenario is there's so many carve-outs that, that the program winds up being untenable. I think that also there's a, there's a danger that the it's difficult to do this politically, but if the charge is too low and doesn't have the desired um, uh, traffic relief objective, then I think that there will be a revolt. Um, so I think you know worst case is there's so many carve outs that you can't you can neither meet the revenue nor the congestion um, goals, and I and I think that you know really it's important to hold the line on the carve outs. I don't, I'm not aware of, of uh, toll facilities in general that have a bunch of carve-outs, and so I'm not really sure why um, why th there should be many carve-outs on this either. So so I think there's that. Um, uh, that said, I will say there actually was one other carve-out stipulated in the legislation, which um, which is interesting because it's it's helpful to the to the um, to the community that benefits from it without affecting the 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 travel the revenue goal on that, and that is for um, households earning below a certain income threshold that live in in the congestion zone. So there's some relief for them. So I think so I think uh, the too many carve outs or, or even any carve outs and also uh, not having the political will to really follow it through. I, mean, I think it was a tremendous step for the legislature to pass this and the governor and 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 hats off to everybody for doing that. There's still plenty of work ahead, but I think that to, to not have the follow through, not getting it right, um, that's the, you know, so, so getting something but the wrong thing, I, th I think that's, um, I think that's the, the worst scenario, the bad, the worst case scenario, that, that's your hell scenario. Um, but I think there's lots of ways to do it right. There's not just one way to do it right. So I think that I'm hopeful that we'll avoid that. Best case scenario, um, is we get an unobtrusive system in that um, provides uh, more travel time reliability um, and provides uh, improved transit alternatives and the city hums along better than it's ever been. Um, so I think that's, the, that's the, the goal and I think that it can certainly be achieved. I think that the, the future question, I think one of the issues that, that many of us are interested in is is appreciating the fact that certain parts of the city are easier to access than other parts, and there's uh, ways of of being in the zone uh, more than other ways. So that would be a distance-based charge that we were proposing initially be tried out for four hire vehicles, where the technology they are all equipped with GPS, and and so it's easy to know. Uh, either how much time they spend in the zone in motion or how many miles they log in the zone in motion and appreciating the fact that that vehicle that's driving around and round is contributing much more to congestion than that person who's just driving in and parking and then spending their day in their office or, or getting from location to location by walking or, or, or some other mode. So, so it's difficult to, you know, if you're just doing an entry and exit fee to differentiate between people who are really 
uh, taking most advantage or using the most intensively the road. So, so technology does exist um, that can help us uh, charge a little bit more precisely, and I and I think that that's the that'll be a good look to the future. I, I don't know that we'll be able to do that in the first round. I think it'll be an evolving um, project. So also recognizing that some parts of the city are better served by transit than other uh, parts. For those of you who are New Yorkers, you'll know well that it's harder to reach the east side, for example, than the west side. The far west side is also difficult to reach. For those of you who who are New Yorkers, you could take my word for it. Um, so if you're going to some place that's not best served by transit, um, you know, depending, again, knowing where you are, knowing how you're using the road allows for a much more exact kind of a, of a charging system. But, um, you know, there's also a principle to keep it simple, and um, I'm in favor of that, and, and, I'm, and I'm quite hopeful that we'll have a very robust effective system and we'll be able to improve transit and you know if we get it right eventually um, we won't have anywhere near the kind of revenue that we're looking for because we'll have fewer and fewer vehicles um, clogging up the streets of the city hopefully by then we don't need it we'll have repaired the transit system and it will be more self-sustaining i said that's 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 the part that actually starts to scare me because you know uh, a city taking money away from a city that's grown used to it uh, i'll be curious to see where they find those revenues. We had an earlier guest on the podcast uh, uh, earlier this summer, for those of you who remember, uh, with Anthony Townsend, who's the author of the forthcoming book Ghost Road, who actually argued that, yeah, that um, congestion pricing is a good idea that may quickly uh, slip down a slippery slope um, where, you know, cities will, you know, sort of give away congestion pricing rights uh, for lump sums to help cover budget shortfalls, for example. Then we could see all sorts of misguided policy applications of congestion pricing. Um, so yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Greg, but I just want to say that that would be a shame. Um, I think that um, the analogy that I like better is a carbon tax. I think we like a carbon tax because that it encourages uh, the reduction of, of carbon emissions, but you don't want to get too attached to that revenue stream because, because you want carbon in that case in order to have the revenue stream, right? We don't want congestion, so, so we don't want to get too attached to, to, the, to the revenue stream. But selling it off as Chicago sold their parking meters, for example, exactly. would be one of those, would, would be, I think, it's like selling the goose that, that lays the golden egg, right? Why would you want to transfer all the benefits while the cities generally keep all the risks and transfer all the benefits um, elsewhere? Well, on that note, say, as, as your report notes at the very end, you know, the next 15 months will be critical, and now we're sort of entering that phase to see exactly how it all plays out. I guess one last final question then. You know, in theory, the system could start on January 1st, 2021. Uh, do you think it'll be ready by then, or when do you think is a you know, more realistic timeline for New Yorkers to actually see congestion pricing in place? So I haven't got your answer is as good as mine on that one. Um, I think that the, the legislation uh, does stipulate that it will begin no sooner than then. Um, I think that the sooner that the traffic mobility uh, review board is impaneled, um, the the sooner we'll get a result. Uh, I know that the MTA is already working on the issue, so people are working on that as a as a target, um, and hopefully we can we can meet that date. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us. I'm afraid we're out of time. 
Um, listeners, thank you so much for joining us in one of our, perhaps our most New Yorkiest uh, podcast to date. Um, but yeah, as the report notes, you know, if this if it works in New York, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And we'll be curious to see what lessons will be generalizable to cities across the United States and uh, and hopefully across the world from there. So so thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us, and thank you for uh, for publishing this uh, hopefully landmark report. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, listeners, we'll be back soon with another episode of the Commotion Mobility Podcast. Until then, tune in.